How real is your God to you? How real is he to you? It's the, that's the kind of question that's so easy. Yeah, I, I know, but now how real is he? I want you to, as you go through your day tomorrow, ask you that question. How real is he to me? I mean, I know he exists. I know he's God. I believe in him. I put my trust. But how real is he? You're trusting in that seat right now that it's really there when you sat down. God's more real than that chair. And he's more reliable than that chair. But you can rest in the Lord your God. Amen? Message number one. (laughs) Lord, you're teaching us as individuals and as a congregation. The reason why we're here, Lord, is to bring the gospel to the lost. And so, Father, we've targeted, each one of us, some people in our lives, family members, relatives, neighbors, whatever they may be. And, Father, we're praying for them tonight, these individual names that we have selected and we have chosen. Help us to not forget them, Father. Father, we pray right now that you would soften their hearts and prepare their hearts, Father, to be willing to hear the gospel, that that you would bring them to a place where the reality in their life, that they need help, they need someone in their life that's bigger than they are to help them. Father, we just take authority over any spirits that would try to distract them and and to dissuade them. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you must let them go. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would be among the ministering spirits sent to draw them. We pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to give us ideas of how to invite people, ways to draw them in, Father. And we just pray for their souls right now, Father, and ask you for each one of them in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 I had the opportunity this morning, a privilege, to spend about a half an hour on the um, radio station here on what they call a way in Wednesday, which is to discuss an issue. And the issue that I had asked to be discussed was wisdom in half an hour. Well, I could probably give you my wisdom in half an hour. Um, but one of the things that uh, went off in me in sharing about this, because it fits in with what we're talking about, we're, we've been looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Very vital ministry. In fact, the time we spent in... Uh, in Tulsa at the conference we were at, there was a lot of emphasis on it. One of the things I felt God showing me is He said, you need to, you need to preach more about the Holy Spirit you, because you won't see Him work unless you talk about Him. And I said, well, thank you, Lord. That's good timing. So we're learning about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A lot of things we can talk about the Holy Spirit, but this is what His ministry is. And so we began several weeks ago about just some kind of a general introduction about the Holy Spirit and who He is. And uh, last time we met, which has been three weeks since we, I've been here talking about this, we talked about the fact that He's a person. And this is one of the biggest things to get through our mind because it's easy to look at, you know, understand God's a Father. So we have a concept of what a Father is, so we can fit that in. Christ is the Son. We understand what a Son is, so we can fit that into this computer. But what's a Holy Ghost? What's a ghost that's holy or a spirit that's holy? That's a little harder because we don't have an image of what that is. And so the tendency is to see the Holy Spirit as a force. And of course, we have a culture that, that loves to talk about spiritual things. And some of the most successful movies of this generation have been about spiritual things and center around the force. May the force be with you. Well, the force that the world talks about and that, that attracts people is a, just that. It's a force. It's not a person. And here's why that's so important. You can't have a relationship with the force. The force may be with you, but you can't talk to the force. The force can't give you advice. And we understand that because we live with forces in our lives every day. You, you know, you ladies dry your hair with electricity. You cook your food with electricity or some, some kind of energy source. And that's a force and it's, it is a power available to be used for our service and our discretion. And when we see the Holy Spirit as a force, we have the same attitude. He's there to help me when I need Him. He's some great, great resource that God has given to me. And the problem is you can't submit well, I, I said it this way. If you see the Holy Spirit as a force, you want more of Him to accomplish what needs to be done in your life. You want to have more of Him. But if you see Him as a person, you're motivated to give Him more of you. Because you can't trust yourself to the electricity. You can't trust yourself to a force. And we went through a whole list of scriptures and different aspects of scriptures to show you that the Bible says he's a person, he's a personality. 
And so you can have a relationship with him. You need to talk to him. That's how you develop a relationship with him. And one of the things we'll see is his pur- one of his purposes is to glorify Christ, to make Christ more real to us. But he does that through his relationship with him. So I get up in the morning and talk to him. I just, good morning, Holy Spirit. Just to, to, in my own mentality to, re- to develop an awareness of a relationship with him. And when I get into a situation, I was in one yesterday, and I said, Lord, I don't know what the answer is, but you need to show me one. And so what I got talking about this morning is, and we'll probably look at this down the road, and you hear me pray this all the time, but talking about wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that the world offers us a wisdom, but in God's mind is foolishness. Instead, God chooses what the world thinks is foolish to do God's will. And the perfect example of that is what the world thinks is really foolish, which is the cross. A man died 2,000 years ago. It's an historical event. But what can that do to my life? Where's the power in that? Well, the Bible says it's the power of God unto salvation to change lives. And this room is an example of changed lives through the power of something that happened 2,000 years ago because it didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It happened to me 37 years ago. Oh, it was 2,000 years ago, but I received the power and still do. The power of the resurrection. We're going to talk about that on Resurrection Sunday. And so, so developing that relationship is so important. So there's a wisdom that the world offers, but we aren't saved through that wisdom. But then chapter 2 says, but there is a wisdom to those who are mature or growing in Christ. So there is God. But then it makes clear that wisdom is not wisdom you're going to find by reading books. It's revealed by the Spirit. And my favorite verses in there is, is verse 9 and 10. For eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it entered into the hearts of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Think about that. It's not entered into your mind. It's not entered into your heart. Your mind can't conceive of on its own all that God has already prepared for you, for those that love Him. So God has prepared things for us that we're never going to find out on our own. Why? Because they're too wonderful. We'll limit what God's like based on our religious traditions and our experiences. But God has things for you, for us together that are beyond your wildest imagination. God is so good, so good, so wonderful. And He wants us to know not just how wonderful He is, but wonderful things He has for us, blessings He has for us. Not just natural, tangible things, they're good too, but infinitely beyond that. We're experiencing some blessings in our family now. I mean, family blessings are so much better than financial blessings. I mean, to have your kids thinking straight and to have your grandkids with you and to have things like that. I mean, just having God changing lives and your family changing lives about people around, changing lives about people you care about. That's one of the greatest blessings there is. Because lives are so much more valuable than things. So much more important. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it entered into the hearts of man. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. But the Spirit searches. The Spirit searches the depths of His heart. So tonight, the Holy Spirit is searching the depths of God's heart to bring up out of the depths of God's heart those things that He has prepared for you to reveal them to you. But how does He do that? The primary way he does it is through this. It's meditating on this. We read it, but we don't meditate on it enough. And the difference between reading it and meditating it is the difference between tasting your food and swallowing your food. If you just have a beautiful piece of roast beef or whatever it is you happen to like, and you just put it in your mouth and you chew it around, you say, oh, that tastes so good. Oh, that is such a delicious piece of roast beef and then you spit it out you've tasted it but it's not going to do you any good you've had the experience and that's what so many Christians do with church so many Christians do with their Bible so many Christians do with God we taste Him we taste the Word but we don't swallow it it doesn't become part of us and I'm really getting off on a tangent but it's good right now 
So that's how he, re- the primary way that the Spirit of God reveals them to us is by taking this Word, chewing on it, meditating on it, and allow Him, expect Him to begin to show you things. Many times as I've read some of these scriptures and preached some of these scriptures, I'm seeing some things I've never... I had a, a verse last year in John chapter 13 go off in me that changed my life. And I've read that verse, quoted that. I know that verse by heart. I preached that verse over and over. And in one moment's time, I saw something in there that totally reversed something in my life. One moment of revelation by the Holy Spirit. It's one of those gems God had in His heart for me that I needed to hear and deposited that in me. So just one, as we're getting into the study, this is why this is so important. Now, so we're looking at he's not a force, he's a person. So you need to develop a relationship with him so you'll look to him and expect him. When you get into an emergency situation, God's answer is going to come to you through him. Because God's seated on the throne in heaven and Jesus is his right hand, but the Holy Spirit's the one that's been put inside of you to lead you into all truth. Truth about who He is. Truth about what God has in His heart towards you. Truth that you need to know. So as you get up every day and you hopefully spend some time with Him, one of the things I've started to do is asking for my daily bread. You know what I need to know today. You know what wisdom I need today. You know what help I need today. I don't know it, but you know what it is. I'm asking you for my daily portion today, my daily bread. All right. Now, so what we've looked at is attributes of the Holy Spirit that the Scriptures use to refer to Him. What I want to get into tonight is I want to talk about symbols for the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you for a moment and why this is important. I've had to, this is out of a course I used to do in school of ministry that, that we're not going to have a chance to go through all the things. So I'm trying to pull out what's really important to what I sense God wants to do for us now. But I thought this was important because symbols are a method God has of... God's a master communicator. Can, can, you, can you agree with that? Yes. Even just go yes anyway. He is. God, well, He got through to you. And He got through to me. That shows He's a master communicator. And He's still getting through to this hard-headed German. He's still getting through from time to time. And, and so God is a master communicator. One of the ways God has chosen through the Word to communicate things to us is with symbols or types or shadows of things. And I want to spend a moment because we're going to talk about some types that the Bible uses to refer to the Holy Spirit. And one of the simple reasons for knowing these is when you see these in scriptures, and we're going to look at a couple of them, you may not think that's no unless you understand this. You may not realize it's talking about the Holy Spirit. But there's a more important reason for understanding this. Because a a symbol of something, symbolic in that sense of the word, a symbol of something communicates something to you about it. So what is a symbol? A symbol is a tangible example of something. By tangible, I mean something that you can touch, that you can experience, and you'll see as we go through this, that communicates an idea to you about a spiritual truth. And as we go through these, I'll, I'll show you how this example. Because spiritual truths are hard to get. I mean, we can, we can say, yes, I understand that. Yes, I, but, but to become, God wants that you experience these truths. The, the, in the, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Chaldean. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I, don't, I didn't study Hebrew. From what I understand from people that did, the Hebrew language is a very... A, a, a tangible, very emotional language. It's very graphic. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like you get your hands dirty in it. You can feel things in it. There's emotion in it. The Greek language that the New Testament is, is all intellectual. There's not much emotion in it. There's concepts. So the Hebrew is where you see most of the types and shadows. And it's communicating something, it's communicating a spiritual truth in a way that your senses can relate to it. And as we go through these, I believe that you'll begin to understand a little bit. So we're going to go through these not for two reasons. We're going to look at each of these. First of all, so that you can understand when these are referred to in a scripture, it's the Holy Spirit that, we're talking, that He's talking about. But secondly, we're going to talk about what that type is, because out of that example, we can gain some knowledge or truth about this, this certain aspect of the Holy Spirit. So, all right. With that by way of background, let's get into, I've got it here somewhere, let's get in if I can get this thing working, 
It worked earlier. Here we go. Ah, beautiful. Symbols of the Holy Spirit. The first one is breath. Breath. What is a breath? Breath is life-giving. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into this pile of dust, and he became a living soul. He breathed his breath into it. Breath is what is the sign somebody's alive. So, you know, you've come across somebody that's on the floor out cold. How do you know that they're, are they still breathing? So breathing is one of your vital signs, I believe. It shows that there's life there because breath is coming in and going out. So the term breath or breathe can refer to the Holy Spirit or the or Spirit. Give you some examples. John 20, 22. And when he had said this, Jesus, he's been raised from the dead, he was talking to the disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he was doing with them the same thing God did with Adam in the beginning. God literally breathed his life into this pile of flesh. So God formed, the image is God formed man's body of the material substance of this earth, which is why our flesh belongs to the material realm, because that's what it came out of. And when you, your spirit leaves it, that's what it returns to. You return, your body returns back to the dust unless they mummify you or something. But that's what it wants to do. But God took that material of the, earth, of the natural realm and breathed a spirit life into it. And it became a living being, a living soul, literally is what it means. Now, God, now here, Jesus being raised from the dead, these men are alive. James and John and Peter and all the rest of them, they're, they're alive there. He, but now he's going to breathe in them the supernatural, born-again life of the Holy Spirit. So he breathed in them the Holy, in the, in, in the Holy Spirit. He breathed upon them. So that breath is not just, you know, the onions that he had for lunch. It is literally the Spirit of God inside of him. He breathed into them. Okay. So, breath represents the Holy Spirit. Psalm 104.30 says, You do send forth your spirit and they're created. You do renew the face to the ground. You don't remember, need to remember all these scriptures. I'm just giving you them as an example. Job 33.4, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So the first symbol we're looking at is, is breath. Breath. The second symbol is closely related to it. It's wind. Now, in the Greek, and I showed this to you a few weeks ago, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. But it also means spirit, breath, or wind. So, in the Greek language, it's all the same thing. It just depends on what the context is. Uh, and so you can, in some cases, you can actually use it interchangeably. So this is a good example to get into what a type or shadow is. John chapter 3, very famous scripture, we'll look there. Jesus is trying to do with Nicodemus what I'm talking about. Nicodemus comes to him at night, known as Nick at night. That's an old one. Should be buried probably. And, and, and he asked, you know, Rob, Rabbi, we know that you've come from heaven because nobody could do these signs. And Jesus, he's like this. He answered the question that wasn't asked. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, that's kind of important, isn't it? Because God said, Jesus, you can't get into heaven unless you're born again. And that term has become kind of a, a, a somewhat derisive, but it's a term that the world uses. Is, are you a born-again Christian? Well, that's the only kind there are. Now, you can be of a Christian heritage, and you can be from a, a country that has Muslims and Christians, but that's cultural. But in, in order to be in the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. It's the only way you get in there. And, and the word again has two meanings in Greek. It means a second time... And it also means from above. It has both meanings. 
So Jesus is saying, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must, you must. And in the Greek, that word must is the strongest possible. It is absolutely impossible to do it unless you are born again. Well, now we understand somewhat of what that means, but Nicodemus didn't. He's never heard that before. So if you tell somebody that you've got to be born again, what are they going to think of? They're going to think about the time they were born the first time, and Nicodemus looks at his body and looks at his mother, if she's still around, and he basically says, how can I go back into my mother's womb and come out of my mother's womb again? Now Jesus has to communicate to him, I'm not talking about that kind of birth. That's a birth in this natural material realm, and in order to be in the kingdom of heaven, you have to have been born twice. So you have to have that first birth, which means you have to have a body. You can't get into heaven if you're not a person. Okay, you have to be born the first time. How many of you were born the first time? Some of you aren't so sure. <laughs> you need to go home and look in a mirror to make sure. Or you're out of your sleep. This is important. So Nicodemus understood what it meant to be born once. But his question then is, how can I be born a second time? Because he's thinking in natural material terms, as anybody would, and says, you know, wow, we had a, we had a new baby born in our family. Well, then right away you're thinking of somebody, a little body, you know, pink, ruddy little thing, boy or girl, pink or blue, you know, and, and, and what's that we conceive of? So Jesus has to take Nicodemus' mind and open it up to a spiritual truth that you can't see. And let's watch how he does this. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? So he's still thinking in natural terms, which is understandable. Jesus now wants to raise his understanding up to a spiritual idea, which is necessary for entering the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does he mean by water and the Spirit? Well, the water is undoubtedly referring to the water of the womb, the mother's water. You know, her water broke. The water of the embryonic sac that, the, that that fetus was carried in. So the water, in any event, water is a natural substance. So he's saying, unless one is born of water, which is of this physical body, and of the Spirit. So the first birth is what is the first qualification. You have to be a human being. The only ones that get into heaven are human beings. Now, if you ask me about Fluffy the dog, I'm not going to tell you I don't know. So don't get upset about your pet cat that died 10 years ago because we had one and I'm hoping that she's in heaven but I'm not going to base what I believe on that or not. But the Bible says in order to... It's not talking about angels. The beings that God created, you have to be a person because we're the most precious creation He has. But there has to be a second birth and that birth has to be in another realm of existence. That's the spirit realm. So in order to explain this to Nicodemus, whose mind must be going around like this about now, Jesus goes on to this, this, this little teaching. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So pinch yourself somewhere. That's what he's talking about. So the part that came out of your mother's womb is the part that you're sitting, on, sitting with there, that you're touching, that you're smelling, that you're feeling, that's tired, that's aches, that's hungry. That's the part that came out of your... Now, it's obviously changed since you came out of your mother's womb, but it's your flesh part of you. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the second birth has to come out of the Spirit in the spirit realm. It's a new life being created as your new life was created when, in my case, 70 years ago, in your case, whatever number years ago, when you were born, your body was born, this new life has to be created in the spirit realm inside of you. Now, in order to say that, verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now it looks as if he just changes subject and goes off on some meteorological tangent here. He says, that which, that which, 
the, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. He's not talking about spiritual Christians that you don't know where they came from, and you have no idea where they're going. Ooh, I've known some of them. That's not what he's talking about. He's using the wind as a symbol. What he's saying, he's trying to make him aware, I'm talking to you about your spirit man, and you can't see him. You can't touch him. Your five senses can't detect him, but that doesn't mean he's not real. He says, the wind, you can't see that either. But you can tell it's real because you can see the effect of it. A few weeks ago, one of these windstorms came through, and our, some branches, not big ones, but I looked out in our backyard, there's little branches all over the place. Now, I couldn't see the wind, but I could tell the wind had been there because I, the, I could see the effect of the wind. And so, wind is a great symbol of the Spirit because it, it's there, it's in the atmosphere, it, it has power to it, but you can't see it. You can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going, but you can tell it's here. And you can see the effect of it. Now in Ezekiel 37, don't turn there, but Ezekiel 37 is the story of the dry bones. It's the story where a, a vision, one of the visions that Ezekiel had, that Lafayette actually spoke over this congregation a few years ago. And he said in there, it says, the hand of the Lord, which is another symbol, picked up Ezekiel and brought him by the Spirit to a valley. So it's a vision. And the valley's strewn with bones that are bleached and scorched, dried by the sun. They're not even skeletons. Skeletons are bones that are connected to the correct bone. But they're just scattered all over the place. And the question that the prophet has is, can these bones live? And God answers by the Spirit and says, prophesy. And, and so in that chapter, there's the word wind, there's the word breath, and the word spirit. He breathed on them, the bones, and they began to rattle. And he spoke words. So, but it's the same word throughout it. It's the Hebrew word ruach, which can be translated breath, wind, or spirit. So in this vision, the breathing on the bones is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. I believe that when, when the, Moses held the staff out over the Red Sea and it said a mighty east wind blew, that that was God going <sighs> and holding it back. It was the Spirit of God holding the, wind, holding the sea back. Alright, so wind is a symbol. Wind is a symbol. The next one, oil. Now, again, one of the qualities of wind is you can't see it, but it has power to it, and it has force to it. In the same way, the Spirit, you can't see Him, but He has power, and He has force to Him. Oil is a different symbol of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about qualities of oil, first of all. And it's a little hard for us to understand because we don't use oil quite the same way that they did in biblical times. In biblical times, it was used also for medicinal purposes. It was used, remember the, the good Samaritan when he f came across the man that had been beaten up? He came and took his flask of oil and poured the oil in the wound. Well, they didn't have bacitracin and all the stuff we have, antibiotics we had now. So oil was a cleansing product, a, a soothing, healing product. And so they would, it, 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 it implies something that's soothing. It implies something that's healing. It implies something that's cleansing. But one of the aspects of oil that we still use today, at least I hope you use it, it's something that's used to relieve friction. 
so that if you don't regularly change the oil in your engine, the purpose of oil in your engine is to take those parts that rub against each other and produce a very high, because of friction, produce a very high temperature that if you don't keep enough oil in there or if that oil breaks down, eventually what will happen is it will heat up so much it seizes up and it, it, the, the, the parts uh, uh, expand so much they don't go anymore and you're stopped on the highway somewhere because you didn't change your oil. Amen? This side does it. I guess this side doesn't change the oil over here. Okay. So another quality of oil is it tends to remove friction between moving parts. Oil, where, where, you, get, where you get a bunch of Christians working together, without the oil of the Holy Spirit, you get friction. What that is, is we share the truth with one another. Brother, you need to get that straight in your life. Oh, you've got this in your life, and you're not doing this, and you're not doing this. But the Bible says it's the truth spoken in love. It's the oil that helps the parts move together better. It's when the Holy Spirit is moving together. One of the functions, one of the, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit's presence in a move or in, in a congregation is unity. He's a spirit of unity. He brings unity. So where you see divisions, the Spirit of God's not there. He doesn't, where there's strife, in fact, James says, where there's division and there's strife and envy, that's demonic. So it's a spirit, all right, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Where there's division, where there's strife, now listen carefully, where there's division, I didn't plan to get into this tonight, but where there's division and there's strife, James says, it is demonic wisdom. It's not just bad, it's demonic. It opens the door to other spirits. And then he goes on to say, and every evil work. So if there's strife in your life tonight, it's not the Holy Spirit operating. You're being dominated by another spirit, and it's a demonic, demonic spirit. And he's come to bring in Every evil work. So if you're standing for your healing, if you're standing to get your bills paid, if you're standing for the blessings of God, and you're in strife, or you're in envy, you've opened the door to demons from hell. And you've invited them to bring in every evil work. Jesus transferred us from the dominion of Satan, the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we've changed kingdoms, but you can open the door to the other kingdom to give it influence and power in your life. And the biggest way you can do that is strife, because strife closes the door to the Holy Spirit and opens the door to the wrong spirit. Somebody needed to hear that tonight. So, Oil brings unity. Oil brings healing. Oil brings... It, it, it also is a sign of, an, of anointing. In the Old Testament, when, when God had them build the tabernacle in the wilderness, and once the, the, the structures were all built, and then God had them make the robes for the high priest and for the other priests, and then for the Levites, the linen robes, and then he had them anointed with a holy anointing oil. Because the oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The oil itself didn't do anything, but it's symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That having everything set up, Everything designed according to God's strategy, God's plan, according to the scheme that God showed mountain, uh, Moses on the mountain, having designed the robes and made the robes according to, to exactly... And not only that, under the anointing of anointed builders, Bezalel was one of them, anointed by God to build these things, to design these things and to build these things according to the pattern God had shown Moses. 
was always interesting because in school of ministry, in the course on the tabernacle in the wilderness, the assignment was to construct a tabernacle based on the instructions in here. And one of the things I wanted to see is there are not enough instructions in here. There's the basic elements, but for every person that did one, they look differently. Why? Because it required, an, required them to rely on the anointing to take what God had put in Moses and get it, out into the, get it out into something that could be seen. God didn't hand them blueprints. He deposited a vision in Moses. And God gave Moses the ability to communicate that to Bezalel and to the others and anointed them to take what was on the inside and bring it to the outside. Artists can tell you that. We've got a son that's, an, that's, that's, that's a graphic artist. And he knows on the inside what he's trying to get to the outside. And he can tell when what's on that computer screen or on that paper matches what's on the inside. And that's, but the anointing is what he's talking about. So the oil represented the anointing. Um, so it was used to anoint priests. Uh, Psalm 45 talks about God has anointed us 45 verse 7, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Uh, Psalm 89, 20 says, I have found my servant, my servant David, King David, and my, with my holy anointing oil I have anointed him. So the kings were anointed with oil. The priests were anointed with oil. Which, again, the oil didn't do anything the oil was symbolic of their dependence and reliance upon the ability of God, the anointing of God. The ability, it was a reminder. See, those ceremonies they went through were, 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 were not just, you know, uh, were not just like a, a wedding is a ceremony. We, that's the best one I can think of right now. We've had some weddings this year, last year. We're going to have some coming up. A wedding's not a ceremony you just get through. The reason we do those, the reason we have a, a wedding ceremony is that it is to, to, to get through to all, everybody's senses, not just the bride and groom, that there's a covenant being entered into. And that covenant's being witnessed. And the ceremonies that I do is a covenant ceremony. And we have witnesses to the covenant, and we have the husband and the wife entering into a blood covenant with each other so that 25 years from now, 35 years from now, when you're going through a difficult time, you remember back to what that was, those words that were said in that solemn ceremony. It's a reminder of the seriousness of what you're entering into. And so that's what ceremonies... So the ceremonies that they went through with these elaborate things that you read about in Leviticus and in, uh, in all the other... in Exodus were all to get through to their senses the spiritual significance of what was happening. And with the oil, it was to represent the anointing, the anointing oil. Okay. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, Isaiah 61. This is the one Jesus quotes later on. But this was, this was His commissioning instructions. And you can imagine when Jesus was a little boy in the synagogue and He read this the first time. Because every priest in the synagogue had read this before. But when He reads it, something goes off in Him and He begins to recognize, this is talking about Him. This is talking about me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee when everything's restored. All these represent benefits of the Spirit of God when He came upon Him. You remember, and I, I hope you remember this, is that Jesus walked about and ministered in His public ministry as a priest under the Old Covenant, as a prophet under the Old Covenant. He, that's why he had to be baptized by John the Baptist. He had to submit to that rite, that ritual. He never performed a miracle until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He didn't do a miracle, you know, he wasn't, when he was five years old, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't walking on water. When he was ten years old, he wasn't healing the sick. When he's 15 years old, he wasn't raising the dead. If he had been, when he came back to his own hometown, they would have had no trouble believing in him. But the reason they had trouble believing in him is they remembered little Jesus growing up. They remembered his father and mother. 
And he was a good boy. He was a perfect boy. He never sinned. Good student in the, in the synagogue. Did his catechisms right. But he didn't do anything extraordinary or they would have had no trouble rec- recognizing who he was. Not only that, it says in Philippians chapter 2, he set all that aside when he came down here. Because if he did all those miracles as the Son of God, as the second person of the Godhead, what good does that do us? But he did them as a prototype for what a child of God was supposed to be and do. He showed us what it means to live as a born-again child of God, anointed by the Spirit of God. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So the same ability that Christ had dwells in you. The same anointing Christ. Now, His anointing was all concentrated one, but we all have a measure of the Spirit. That's why he said, the works that I do, shall you do also. Because the power by which I did those works, I'm giving to you. Which is why he said, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I go, the Spirit's been here among you, but He's now going to be here in you. Okay. So the anointing, it represents the anointing. Now let's go to James chapter 5. Very well-known verse. Verse 14. Is there any sick among you? you think about that. That's an interesting question. He's he gone through some other things. Is there anyone suffering? Is there anyone, is there anyone who's cheerful? And by the way, is there anyone sick? So it's almost as if he's not expecting anybody to be sick. But if there is, this is what you need to do. Nowadays, is there anybody well? Is there anybody sick? Then this is what you should do. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oh, well, then they annoy. The oil is what heals us. No, it doesn't. I don't want to burst your bubble, but the anointing oil we use here is olive oil. Stop and shop olive oil. It hasn't come from the Holy Land. It hasn't been blessed by the Pope. It hasn't been blessed by the... It's, it's oil. It's not, it's not engine oil. It's olive oil. But it's, it's oil. It didn't come with a prescription. It's oil. But notice what the Scripture says. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Then what's the oil all about? Again, the oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into this tonight. But the way God heals us is by the Spirit. Doctors heal by using your body's processes and resources to heal itself. So antibiotics add to the antibodies in your own body to fight those germs. Vaccines give you a little sample of a disease to stir up the antibodies to strengthen you. So medicine is using the resources that are in your body to augment them to fight. So it's using natural things to help fight disease. Christian science tries to use the mind, mind over matter. God uses the power of the Spirit to heal. That means your healing comes from within. It doesn't drop down from heaven. The power to heal your body is in you right now if you're born again, especially if you're Spirit-filled. That power's in you. You don't have to get it from somewhere. You have to release it from in you by faith. Remember when Jesus walked around in several places and the power to heal was present? Remember the woman who touched the hem of his garment? She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She fought through the crowd and she touched him and said she felt in her body that she was whole. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? When there was a crowd of people touching him, but this touch was different. This was a touch of faith. It wasn't a touch of familiarity. Oh, here's Jesus. Oh, let's touch Him. Oh, look, I get to touch the man. No, she came to Him for a purpose. She said, if I touch Him, whatever's in Him is going to flow into me. 
That was faith, and then she acted on it. And when her touch of faith touched his garment, the power of the Holy Spirit in him flowed out of him into her body and made her whole. Because he turned around and said, Who touched me? And they said, What do you mean, who touched him? You're all people. He said, No, no, somebody touched, because I felt power going out of me. By the way, this is the verse that convinced me that it's always God's will to heal. Because he didn't know who she was, and she was healed already. So if God only heals some people and not others, he would have had to find out who she is to find out which list she was on before he released the power. But the power was there, and what released the power was her faith to receive it. That power is in you if you're born again. It's the Spirit of the living God in you. The same power, if that power that's, by the way, when your body gets resurrected, the power's coming from inside of you. It's not going to drop down out of heaven. If the same Spirit, Romans 8, 11, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will also quicken your mortal body. Not just the resurrection, but with health. So you don't have to go get it from somewhere. But what the oil does is the oil is a reminder of the power of the Spirit that you're using your faith to receive. So it's faith that causes it to happen, but it's faith in the Holy Spirit's power to do that for you. So the oil is a symbol to remind you, just like the anointing oil in the old days was a symbol to remind them, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Are you getting this? Okay. So the oil, because it's something tangible you can feel, reminds you, oh, this is the Holy Spirit's anointing. Okay. Next one. Water or rain? We've got to move along with this. Water or rain? What does water or rain do? Water is life. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus said, If you just knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask of him, and he would give you water. That if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. This water will satisfy a a need down in your soul, not just a need in your mouth and in your body. And he said, and if you believe in me, it will become in you a well of water springing up to life. We had the song we sang back in the day, Spring Up a Well, Spring Up a Well. Some of you, you haven't been around long enough to remember that. And then in John chapter 7, at the end of the feast, Jesus stands there at a time when they would cry out, where is the water, where is the water, I don't have time to get on that. Jesus stood there and said, if any man believes in me, I will send this, uh, will come out of him rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. And it says that he was referring to the Holy Spirit who had not yet come. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a well of water, of life. The water represents life. When you're really thirsty, oh, you know, you could not eat for days, but you have to have water. You have to have water. It's necessary for life just as breath is necessary for life. It's also refreshing. And the Holy Spirit is referred to in several places as the refreshing of God. Just like, you know, you can drink Diet Coke all you want, but it's not refreshing. It, you just, they make it so you want more. But water is truly refreshing and satisfying and it's life-giving and it's health-giving. And so the Spirit is refreshing as well as life-giving. It's also a force of water. Water, if you've seen uh, in a hurricane, you've seen the power and force that's behind water. But what about rain? Rain represents water that comes down out of heaven. Rain represents water that comes down out of heaven. Um, uh, several examples of that in... in uh, in, in Joel uh, chapter 2, which Peter quotes about, we're not going to turn there, but it talks about, well, let's go into James. James chapter 5. You're in James. Go back to verse 7. He's talking about being patient now, about with everything going wrong in the world at that time. So how much more do we need to be today? Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, which is talking about souls. It's symbolic of souls, the harvest. Waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. He's referring back to a prophecy in Joel. 
when it says God will send the early, and back in Deuteronomy, it talks about God saying that when you plant your seed, I'm going to send you, I'll be faithful to give you the early rain and the latter rain. The early rain is what was necessary to germinate the seed. The seed was planted in the ground, but the seed will not germinate, it, germinate, break open and begin to grow until it's properly watered. So they needed, when they planted their crops, they needed to have that first rain so that the crops would germinate, that the seed would germinate. But then right before the harvest to do that last push to produce the, the mature fruit, they had to have a, a, a later rain or a latter rain. Now, symbolically of the Spirit of God, this refers to the initial outpouring of the Spirit. Joel, that's what Peter says. You, you, what you see and hear of this Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, is what Joel prophesied before when he talked about the early rain. So the outpouring of the... Remember the outpouring? What happens when it rains? It pours. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is symbolized by an outpouring of rain from heaven. But James is saying, be patient. The coming of the Lord is soon. Well, if it was the coming of the Lord was soon then, it's a whole lot sooner now. But what's necessary, because God is waiting for the last great harvest, there's souls out there that God wants to sweep into the kingdom of God. But to do that, it's not going to happen because we've got great preachers. It's not going to happen because we've got beautiful new stages and lighting systems and sound systems. It's not going to be happening because we have this crusade and that crusade. They're wonderful. They're nice tools. But what's going to cause it to happen? What's going to soften the hearts of men? What's going to prepare the harvest is another outpouring of the Spirit, the latter rain to prepare the fields for harvest so that the Labors can go out in and reap in the harvest of souls that needs to be brought in before Jesus comes back and this end ages and it's too late and the door closes. So it refers to it the Holy Spirit that's necessary to, to prepare the souls to receive, to, to, to receive the harvest, the harvesting of souls that's about to come. That's about to come. Another symbol. We've got time for two more quick ones is fire. Fire. Fire is an all-consuming, hot, unstoppable force. And we've seen pictures of these wildfires in the West, and they just, you know, they, they have trouble stopping. Hundreds of thousands of acres, and they just, it, what happens is the fire begins to develop a, a wall, and I'm not, I don't, I haven't studied a lot of this, but it begins to develop a wall of heat in front of it, so before the flames ever get there, things get ignited. And fire, Jesus said, over in Luke, chapter 3, John, or John said, John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but woman is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire also purifies. It burns out the impurities. So when we're calling for or praying for a revival, understand what that's going to do. It's going to start with you. It's going to start with me. It's going to start with the Spirit of God burning out the impurities of our life. When I've been in meetings where the Spirit of God begins to fall and people just start falling down crying because they're, God, He's showing things in their life to get pure. Because when you see how pure God is and you see where you are, you're not, we're not such the hot stuff we think we are. And He needs to do that. But then that fire brings up, begins to move and begins to move out, and it begins to spread, and, and, and it begins to spread like wildfire, consuming all the chaff and sin that's in the way, and begins to prepare the way for the Lord. One more symbol, which I forgot to put on the PowerPoint up there, and that is mantle, not the kind over your fireplace, or garment, cloak. It represents the anointing of the Spirit of God. Elijah, Elijah, when he called Elisha, passed by him, and Elisha was plowing his father's field, and Elisha, Elijah took off his cloak, and he threw it over his shoulders. It wasn't because Elisha was cold. Elisha understood what this meant. Because the, how, what's the symbol of this? Well, a cloak, a mantle... It's hard, it's hard for us to understand today because we don't wear cloaks like that. It was, it was an indication of who you were. A beggar wore a cloak 
that was like his license to beg. That's why it was so significant when Bartimaeus heard Jesus coming by and cried out to him and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples tried to shut him up. Don't bother the master. So he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the third time, second time they tried to shut him up. And he cried out even more, Son of He stood up and he took off his garment, it says. That won't mean much to you until you realize he took off his license to beg. He took off that garment, that mantle that, that identified who he was and what his rights, and he threw it aside. Now keep in mind, he's blind. Once he's let go of that, if he stays blind, he can't find that anymore. So he is now separated from his past. He's now dependent on... If Jesus doesn't have mercy on him, he can't, he, he can't make his living anymore begging. So the mantle represented a signal of who you were. But, but, uh, and again, it's hard with a coat, but some of the ladies that wear cape-like things and things like that, it, it's, it, it, there's a weight to it. It comes and settles down on you. And there are times when the Holy Spirit may come upon you, and I've heard people describe it, it's like a cloak just coming over you. So it's, it, there's a weight to it. There's a presence. There's a protection about it. And then in 2 Kings when Elijah was finishing his ministry and Elisha was ready to take over and he said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And, and Elijah tried to discourage him by trying to get away from him. And the more he tried to get away from him, the more Elisha followed him. Until he came to the point where the chariots came down to pick Elijah up. And what fell out of the, of the chariot on him was his mantle, his cloak. It fell on him. And that represented the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then the first thing he does is he goes to the water, takes it off and smites the water with it. So it, it is a representation of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit's anointing coming on somebody. The mantle, the fire, the water, the rain, the oil, the wind, the breath. Those are all natural forces or natural elements that we all have some experience with. We all know what it's like to, to breathe on something or have somebody breathe on you. Uh, we all know all what it's like to be short of breath maybe or, 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 or be out of breath and how desperate you are for that breath. How You don't think about breath all the time, but breath is necessary for your life until you don't realize it until you're having trouble with it. So is the Holy Spirit necessary for life. But we, we, we live so often without even being aware of Him. The wind, the power and the force of something you can't see to change things and move things and power things and drive things. Oil, the softening, the medicinal, the soothing, the, the, the friction-removing qualities of oil, the refreshing, life-giving qualities of water and the, and the refreshing of the rain and, and, the, and the, the necessary... Uh, qualities of rain for the harvest that's necessary, and fire, the power of fire to purify, the power of fire to... You know, one of those fires going, it sucks things in because the fire goes up, and as the hot air goes up, it sucks the colder things in. So a revival gets going so hot, it starts drawing things in. I've read over and over again different biographies of Charles... Oh my goodness, we're going to end. Charles Finney, when he, a, a revival would get going in a town, and it would get so much... The entire town got saved. The bars would shut down... Anything that was ungodly shut down because there was no business, because everybody got saved. One story he was in, I read his own writing about this, was in a, was in a, 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 a plant, a, a manufacturing plant, a mill. And he, just, he didn't say a word, he just looked. And some girls started shaking and crying, fell on their knees, crying, out to God for, to save them. He never said a word. Because when he walked in, they were laughing, because he was kind of ugly looking. They started laughing at him, he just, started, he just stood there. And they started crying and falling down. And, and there's a commotion going. And the owner comes over and says, what's going on? He didn't say anything. He says, I don't know what's going on here, but we need to get saved. He shut the plant down, set Finney up in a room, and Finney preached, and everybody got saved. He, he walked down the corridor of a train, and people would fall out on the floor behind him, saying, I've got to be... He never said a word. That's fire. But he didn't just do that on Sunday and Wednesday nights. He lived it. He lived it. Symbols of the Holy Spirit. I hope now if you're reading your Bible and you see some of these things that realize it's talking about the Holy Spirit and begin to think about, well, how is that the Holy Spirit? In what way is that the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight.
for your goodness and your graciousness. Take the things that we've heard tonight. It's very teachy tonight, but it's information that we need. And help us to learn to have a greater appreciation for the role of the Holy Spirit as we read our Bible and as we pray. We need to know Him more. We need to know His presence in us because He's one-third of who you are and you've put Him in us to guide us into truth, to strengthen us, to be not just a resource in us, but to guide us and to direct us so that your will can be done in our lives and through our lives. Help us to be more sensitive to what these symbols mean in your word and in our lives also.